Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. In this podcast, we chat about the win against Luton, discuss the boring news over the last four weeks, look ahead to Burnley and answer your podcast questions. This is the Boring Breakdown podcast, and this is all your boring match day chatter in a pod. Support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for Craig Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Abanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Abanelli spots out. Hello and welcome to the Borough Breakdown Podcast with Johnny Dana and Tom. We are the Borough Podcast that gives you all of your Borough match day chatter in a podcast. And it was a winning return for Borough at the Riverside Stadium after the international break. Back-to-back comeback wins, three wins on the spin. See Borough go to 12th in the championship table. Uh, guys, how are you feeling in three words? Dana, I'm all three in a row, so three words. I'm assuming that's going to be your words as well. I love crooks. That's my words. I want that emblazoned on some sort of billboard in Middlesbrough because, you know, back-to-back winners for him now. I think that's the third uh, winner that he scored in his Middlesbrough career, obviously with the Reading uh, one Mm. as well. I can't think of any more. I'm sure he's popped up with some, but yeah, he's just, yeah, really good from Crooks. Um, Delighted for him and really happy that we've bounced straight back into the swing of things with uh, with a late winner. You can't beat those sorts of uh, wins. Dana loves crooks on a billboard. We can make that happen on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Tom, how are you feeling in three words? Well, I mean, how I'm actually feeling in three words is rough as toast after me uh, work's Christmas party <laughs> on Friday. But um, uh, for, for Borough, just absolutely mint, man. Um, I think like, I've used that before, but it's applicable here. Um, yeah, coming back with a, a, a win was the, the best way for, for football to return to Riverside. It felt a little bit strange being back yesterday after um, after the World Cup break. But um yeah, it, it just wasn't to, to see the win. Sadly, I missed two goals while I was trying to uh, go, and, go and buy a bottle of Coke for uh, helping me hang over and stood next to Elliot at the front of the queue who was buying eight pints at the same time. Which was just <laughs> um, but, Classic hells. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I haven't seen the goals now. It was, uh, you know, great that you know after going one nil down we've just had that uh kind of determination to get back into it 
create a really good goal for um, for Akpom, uh, and then who doesn't love a, a last minute winner? Um, you know, as soon as Crooks came on, I thought he was scoring that, but. I'm loving, loving seeing it at the moment, and um, yeah, just straight back, uh, straight back to to doing well under under Carrick for our first match back. Yeah, and and, and for me, I'll say great mentality, Borough. Uh, I thought it was just, it's just, uh, I think it's really good to see you know us coming back in games and not panicking when we go one goal down, and obviously bringing it back, and then also going on to win it as well. You know, we've won now against an ex uh, ex Premier League side. And then a playoff team in in Luton last year, and that can only you know breathe confidence uh, for this group. And hopefully, we can continue to do that. Obviously, against Burnley next week, which is going to be a, such a tough game. Um, but if we can beat them, then the world and the league is our oyster. Um, but let's speak about Luton then, because Rob Edwards, who was heavily heavily linked with the Borough job at one point, we thought he was going to, he was going to take it, um, was having his first game as Luton manager um, since the Nathan Jones has took over at Southampton. Um, they took the lead through Jordan Clark, Akbom equaliser and Crooks the late winner. Seeing Borough get all three points. Um, and there was very, very interesting moments throughout the game, uh, which, you know, made the game what it was. But Dana, how would you assess the performance against Luton? I was quite diplomatic on BBC Two's after the game in response to our performance because I said it wasn't vintage. But if I'm being honest, I thought at times we were poor. I, I thought there were some moments where you could see the rustiness. There were passes that were played wide of the intended target, players that were making runs that weren't picked up. The ball was played behind them or the run just wasn't made and it was played into space where the player hadn't obviously ventured into. And uh, I remember Ryan Giles put a ball into the box, his first cross of the game, and it was it was so overhit. And I thought, hey, oh, that's a bit of a collector's item because you don't tend to see him uh, get the execution of it wrong. But I thought for a, you could see that, that we hadn't, played championship football in a month I think you could see that and to be fair to Luton they are a team that whenever we play them I'm expecting a bit of a scrappy affair because they are a team that like to get under your skin and they 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 know how to break the game down and break the opponent down as well and and in fairness to them I thought the way that they set up with their two central midfield players Alan Campbell and John Clark they were almost instructed to man mark almost exclusively uh, House and Hackney and obviously them two have had such a big impact under Michael Carrick and the influence on, on on our games has been paramount from the middle of the park and I think with them they were they were restricting Borough moving it through the, the thirds because of that and we got stuck a few times it's what Carrick said after the game it was a bit sticky at times um, and I think it allowed them to to press high up the pitch Carlton Morris obviously uh coming into that and making it a, a three-man press there to be able to spring high up the pitch. So they caused us problems, but Borough did grow into the game to their credit. And obviously Amari Bell being sent off, I'm talking about and praising their in-game savviness there, but that was a really stupid decision from him that really affected in a positive way Borough. It, it swung the pendulum in our favour and after that, it, it seemed like we were in the ascendancy. So um, there were good parts of the game, but equally there were some horrendous parts of the game. Um, but I would expect that against Luton. It's just good that we managed to to overturn that that deficit and um, yeah, to to believe that we could have got that that win and eventually, of course, we did with with Matt Crooks popping up at the end. 
Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no such thing as a perfect game, really, is there? I think with with the moments that we had, the stick moments and the way that Luton were playing, um, for me, I thought as soon as they scored, it was kind of like the worst thing to happen to them in a, in a weird way because <laughs> the, the the press was so good and the way the shape was trying to hook around our team to try and make us really compact and we couldn't get out was class. And then as soon as they scored, they just dropped back a bit and you're just like, why have you done that? You should continue where you're playing. But Tom, on... On your point, of, on on your view of the game, I appreciate you did miss the two goals for, for going for a cork. Um, a classic Elliot Venice move, but uh, how how do you think Borough got the better of Luton as well? In your opinion, well, I, I think it was mainly trying to focus it down the wings. Um, I've noticed it a lot more in the second half, uh, and we were trying to be very, very quick um, with, with the passing between the lines and getting those overlaps in, so we can, uh, you know, get the get the cross in. Really, um, obviously, like I said, I did miss the, the first goal, but I have watched it back since, um, and, and you know, that came from out wide. And then, I mean, the second one came from kind of a, a cross from from central, uh, central, really, kind of like lofted ball in, but. Yeah, I, I thought it was kind of really the case of of trying to stretch them. I do also think something we were trying to do, because um, I noticed in, in the first half, I thought there's going to be a red card in this game. Um, first 10, 15 minutes, I thought Luton got away with a lot. Uh, there was like genuine double-handed pushes on our players going unpunished. Um, but the ref was bringing, um, bringing some fouls fouls up and and give us free kicks for him. But I was thinking there's a definitely a red card in this game. It's probably going to come Luton's way. And I think that is what specifically on the right hand side we were trying to kind of draw in as well. There was a lot of uh a lot of first touches from from Jones, which you know he was he was kind of like knocking round um their their wing back um and you know, playing kind of first time passes from from his first touch, um, but they were they were being very aggressive with that press, and you know, Jones was caught quite a few times. Um, obviously, Amari Bell being the the one who got sent off for it, but I do think that they were tr- aggressively trying to target Jones on his first touch, um, and I just think that's that's something that we noticed um and and you know in, encouraged uh, Jones to to kind of do more of just drawing that foul, knowing that we're going to end up with a man advantage and we can hopefully make that count. But I think as, as Dana said, we, we did grow into the game um, and I've, I've noticed it on, on both wings, really. There was very good link up um, with McGree and Giles on the left-hand side uh, to kind of encourage uh, Giles overlapping runs and getting the crosses in and, and, you know, Smith, um, I think it was possibly Hackney and Jones on the right hand side, uh, kind of encouraging the same thing there. So I, I, I do think eventually um, that paid off, and, and we had to we had to kind of work to to grind them down there, and like I say, draw that red card. But I, I do think it was it was a good performance overall. Um, although, like Dana said, I, I do think I do agree that we were we were rusty in the in the first half. It just seemed like that that goal was maybe a, a bit of a wake up call for us and. Um, and then, and then after that, to just have that that kind of mentality to to just push straight back on and, and and get a goal, I thought was you know fantastic from us. I think we used Stefan more in that second half. You know, when I spoke there about they restricted that build up 
build up from the back and moving it through the thirds. I think we use Stefan more in that second half because Stefan is a ball playing goalkeeper and he can ping a good ball into the those central areas and out wide as well. And and I agree we did try to use those wide areas. Um so I think that was good to be able to work around that press to entice them into those sort of central areas and then ping it out wide with Stefan. I thought that was something that I noticed the difference from the first half to the second half. And also I did notice you cannot not notice Gavin Ward on a football pitch because of that infamous Swansea uh, defeat two seasons ago. Has he redeemed himself now because he sent off Amari Bell or is he still on the football in blacklist? I mean, he fell over in that first half. So, I mean, I weren't going to laugh, but internally I was laughing a bit. Um, oh, I laughed and, out loud, yeah. mate. It must have been all that time he spent working in the dark. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well, do, do you think do you think Amari Bell has any complaints on the sending off then, Tom? Because, I mean, it was a bit silly, wasn't it? He should have been sent off earlier. There were yeah. genuine, like, there were other tackles that he made where I was saying to uh, my dad sat next to us, like, he's already on a yellow, he should be off for that. Um, I, I think the foul that did get him sent off, there wasn't a lot of contact. I think there was more contact in the other ones before that, which he should have been sent off for, but it was coming. And after that, uh, I went kind of straight on Luton's Twitter just to see what their fans were making of it. And they were all saying the same thing. Like, how how was he not taken off like 20 minutes ago? We could have all seen this coming. And, you know, AFL show said he hadn't been booked or had rarely been booked up until this game. Uh, and then he's got two in one game and been sent off. But, yeah, like I say, you, you could see what he was doing, trying to be kind of a, uh, aggressive on, on Jones's first touch. But he should have been gone much earlier. He's got no complaints for that. I was going to say, doesn't that show Luton's game plan? The you know what I said, like, sort of getting under <clears throat> under our skin. Some people say it's dirt, you know they're a dirty team. I remember they kicked Anthony Dykesteel's backside last season when they came to the Riverside, um, and I, yeah, I think they're one of those teams that really. Let's be honest, they can play good football, but they're very good at that sort of siege mentality, aren't they? Where it's like um, us against the world sort of thing. And and they're very good at being able to, as I said, break down the, the opponent and break down the game. And I think Amari Bell's aggression in that football match, I think, showed their game plan. Yeah, I think that aggressiveness and shithousery from Luton probably might change like over like the next... Next, well, during uh, Edwards' tenure, to be honest, because he's probably not that type of manager to really implement that as much as what you'd see Nathan Jones do it. But um, I think it was really key yesterday to see what type of bite they might have in, in the game. And I think they went a little bit too far. And obviously, with red cards, you know, it does it does change the game. Obviously, key moments change games, don't they? You know, their first goal, the sat back. You know, our equaliser, we continue to press and we managed to break them a little bit more and they didn't really come out as when we equalised and also that red card does play a part in it. But Tom, I think like, to go a goal behind, go a goal behind, I know we mentioned at the start, but the, the winner mentality, the confidence side of things, that's really important for the second half of the season if we continue to do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think you know it, it's a it's a reminder of what we had last season under Wilder. You know, we had that that really good spell when he first came in, where we could go a goal down, and you just think this isn't this isn't over, and we're going to come back, and you know we can still have a chance of winning this. And it, it, it's great to see that came back this season. 
Um, because although at the start of the season there were quite a few games where we went behind and then we ended up kind of coming back and, and drawing, it still wasn't the same. Um, but I think it's just testament to the the work that Carrick and the coaching staff have have done so far. Um, you know, when we went a goal down yesterday, I think the the general feeling uh, I had and the rest of the drinks queue had um, <laughs> was <laughs> was pretty Not the much <laughs> Was was pretty much like, yeah, it, it, it's it's not necessarily over. There 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 wasn't a lot of like, um, you know, disappointment or like mourning or anything like that. It was generally just people were still quite happy and having a laugh and stuff. And I just feel like if if we were the type of team that weren't going to come back from that, uh, that atmosphere would have been a little bit more uh, more sour there. But I, I think I think people know now that if we go a goal behind there's still that that big chance that we're going to come back and turn it around now and you know on the the second party question that's going to be massive um you know in the second half of the season uh especially you know we're back in the top half of the table now um three points off the playoffs um <laughs> if we do make, make that sort of run where you know we're, we're going to be in and around the playoffs it's it's an excellent mentality to have and you know that is going to get us the points that we need to get there. Uh, Tom, Tom, Tom. The Borough will bring you up to knock you back down again. Come on, you're better <laughs> than this. Three points from class. <laughs> can't think Hey, mate, we're only just... 11 points off top. <laughs> that's that's very true. I mean, it could, it could be eight by next week. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, what, should we talk about the Luton goal, Dana? Because, uh, you know, it came from the quick free kick. It felt like Borough could have done a lot better there because there was phases of it and you just you could just see it coming as soon as they took the free free kick. Yeah, when John Clark progresses with the ball, I'm just like, take him out. You know, I think Housen has a bite of him, gets megged, then there's a bit of a ricochet off him, and then Hayden Hackney has a bite and he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't really fully bite. He tries to and, and obviously doesn't win the ball. And then I suppose it, as the ball possessor, the more that you carry the ball without, you know getting knocked off it or getting tackled, the more that you retain that possession as you move upfield, the more probably the more confident you get in that moment. And it was inevitable that he was going to shoot. And then when he does, it's sort of like, well, we could we could and we probably should have stopped that from happening. If you give away a free kick, then so be it. But I think in those moments, you probably just have to take him out of there. But then again, on the flip side of things, I do think you have to just say fair play, it's a good strike. I mean, it's not the best goal that we'll see that we've conceded this season um, in terms of, I guess, pure quality because the build-up probably takes some of that off it. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was avoidable. And... <sighs> I mean, it, it was it just it, it was what it was, wasn't it? I mean, as I said, we could have taken him out, and I think I probably would have wanted to see that from from House or Hackney. But to be fair, House and gets done with a Meg. Um, we get a little bit unlucky with that ricochet, and yeah, he, he scores it. But hey, it doesn't matter in the end, does it? It doesn't because Matt Crooks, the love of your life, Matt Crooks, um, as <laughs> obviously scored the winner. Um, you said you loved him on tees. Do you think? Well, you can dissect the goal in, in a second, Dave, but it's just the should we got a question from Borough and that, and they said, should Crooks be starting, but who for? And if so, like, who who should he be going in for? Do you know what I mean? Because he's on the bench at the moment, he's coming on as a striker, um, but it's not really the right position for him, is it? I think it is. 
Is I it? think it is. Ah, I think no. I think it is at the moment because it's working. And this is the thing with substitutes, impact substitutes. When they make that difference, the next question is always, should they start? My answer to that is no. Keep Crooks where he is because he's obviously coming on and he's making an impact. And I don't think if he was to start games that he would have the same effect. I think it'd probably do more harm than good to play him from the start because I think Marcus Force is a good foil for Tuber Akpom at the moment. I mean, he's he's probably maybe internally a bit sick as a pig that Akpom keeps getting these opportunities and he isn't. But I think he's providing a really good foil for him. And I think things will start to really set in place for Force. I know he obviously scored against Blackpool before the break. It was a penalty though um I know I'm saying it was a penalty though as if I mean you still have to score from six yards but from open play I do want to see a little bit more threat from him but it will click for him I think for Crooks what I mean his position now in the team coming off the bench is fine I don't think we should change that because he's come on the past two games and he's made that impact and he's a poacher you know, he will get into those good positions. He will get into the right areas at the right times. And I think that only happens because he's coming off the bench, because he's mm. fresh and he's coming on with that instruction to get us back into the game when we need to. And I like that role for him right now. I wouldn't start him personally because plus, who are you taking out of the team for him? I just... Mm. I, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. He's a bench player at the moment, and as the cliche goes, it's not who starts the game necessarily. It's it's about the players that finish it, and you know he's finishing the game, and he's finishing the game as the hero. The past two two games that we've had, so thumbs up for from me uh, with Crux's impact sub, super sub role. I'm fine with it. Mm. Do you want to chat about his goal because he he peels away lovely and finds the winner because you know when that ball comes off from Hackney. You just see him peel off his defender and it's just a lovely yeah. little touching. Yeah, it's it's brilliant simplicity. It's simplicity done well. So when the ball comes to Hayden Hackney, watch Duncan Watmore's run because I think this is really, really important. Obviously, Matt Crooks's movement himself is is brilliant because he is he he's ready, you know, he's placed, he kind of stops on a dime and then moves. And it's that really quick movement, the drop of the shoulder, the gore. That allows it to allows him to be in the right position, but it's Duncan Watmore that drags Luke Freeman out of position and enables that space. So when the ball is delivered into the box, and I think it's Tom Lockyer that knocks the ball back. Um, yeah, it's Tom Lockyer that knocks the ball back. Matt Crooks has allowed that space, and that is a, an amazing amount of space for somebody of Crooks's ilk, somebody that is a poacher that's going to be in those right areas at the right time, like I said, to be able to exploit. And yeah, he just turns, he swivels, he turns, he goes into that area, and he's able to pick up that second ball, and it comes off Horvath's glove into the back of the net. We don't care how it goes in, it went in, and that's just I think it's a really good goal done really well it's that simplicity as I said to be able to just drag players out of position you know again I'll I'll refer back to that tweet that we put up that a lot of people were eye-rolling about Michael Carrick talking about the simplicity of midfield movement and space and receiving the ball and giving and going you know that sort of simplicity when it is done at its best is very very good and I mentioned it on a few podcasts ago that I think Football can be overcomplicated at times. I mean, I'm sitting here now. I haven't played football since, I think it was like I played against Red Car College and I was blowing out my ass after about five minutes. So it's easy for me here to sit here and say that football is simple. But I think the, the, the really basics of it, when they're done well, as we saw there with that goal, 
fantastic, really good movement, opens up the space, allows Matt Crooks to to have that area, that boxed area to to sweep up that second ball and 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 get that winner. And then after that, you got Matt, I love Matt Crooks uh, tattooed on your left arm. Um, He's still well. up there. <laughs> if I've got a cut out of Matt Crooks's face on my wall right now, no lie, it's been there for since last season and it's staying up there in fact God, I, he's going on the yeah. top of my christmas tree this year God, I, he's hope he's not listening. I hope he's not listening <laughs> to this podcast because he might think you've got he's got a stalker in his hand to be honest <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, dear no but you're absolutely spot on though D. you're absolutely spot on and football is simple and also it's all about space isn't it and how you control that space and how you can create it and nullify, you know, defend, defend is all about nullifying and creating is all about creating its uh, space. Yeah. So, um, but Tom, at, at the, in the post-match uh, press conference, uh, Michael Carrick uh, said that he wants to win games more comfortably, um, even though everyone wants to, everyone loves a late winner. Um, how do you think Borough can do that? Well, I mean, I think it's it's worth stating that the the last two games where we've had the late winners, they have been against difficult teams to play against. You know, although uh, the Norwich fans are apparently hating life at the moment under uh, under Dean Smith, they're still a team that have just been relegated from Premier League. They're still a good team, and as you said earlier, Luton are uh, you know playoff team from last year to come back and, and win those two games where you know we'd have probably taken a draw away at Norwich. Um, and you know would expect a tight game at home to Luton because it always is. Um, you know that it's it's excellent to see. Uh, obviously, we we I think every team would love to beat every other team more comfortably, um, but we have been doing that in in previous games as well. I think you look at like the the Blackpool game for example. Uh, it was a great example of um, you know how how we can make things comfortably uh, comfortable and you know how good we can be. Um, so I, I think against um, arguably weaker teams, we we can do it. Um, I think it, it might just be a little bit more uh, drawn out against the the teams of kind of like equal strength or or, or better now. But yeah, I, I think it, it would always just come down to taking the chances that we uh, that that we kind of generate. I mean, you you look at some of the the ones we missed yesterday, and I mean, I. It, it's still a little bit of a blur for me, to be honest. But um, I, you know, I remember uh, Chubarakpom hitting the post from from like right in front of where I was at the you know the corner of the box. It was a great, great shot. Uh, a little bit unlucky. Um, that goes in. We're we're looking at it being a much more comfortable game because it's two. It would be two one at that point, and then you've got Luton who have to kind of open up and and, and go for it, and we can we can try and capitalize on that. Um, so yeah, like I said, just just taking the chances when we get them, but um, I, I'm, it's not something I would be particularly worried about right now because I've I've seen us seen us do it and and, and win comfortably now. Uh, seen just about enough from from under character to know that you know, he can get the team to to do that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Okay, then. Well, let's move on to questions then, because each week you send in your questions via Twitter, uh, email the board breakdown hotmail.com, or, or to join our Telegram chat, where there's over 300 Bora fans talking everything but Bora. Um, and the first question it's from Leon, and he says, Marcus Foster does a great job for what we need him uh, for. It's just a shame that he doesn't get very many goals. Uh, who would you like to see as a possible replacement in either the January or summer transfer window? Uh, you spoke a little bit about Marcus Foss earlier, so I'll give this question to you. Yeah, I don't think it's Marcus Foss that I think is the subject of a potential replacement question. It's probably Rodrigo Muniz because, I mean, Marcus Foss came off yesterday for Crooks, so Penny for Muniz's thoughts there because he's that number nine on the bench that isn't coming off. Um, and I think I had a look. He started one game under Carrick and the rest has been like 16 minutes, 17 minutes, not coming off the bench, not coming off the bench. He played one minute against Norwich. His his minutes have been few and far between under Carrick and I just feel like that's a very interesting footnote but in terms of potentially bringing in a striker in January I really like our link with with Ross Stewart he was of course on our transfer wish list in the summer and I thought it was a bit unrealistic really to expect Bora to even be in for Ross Stewart because Sunderland had just been promoted I think I I put him on that list prior to that uh, League One playoff final but I really like Ross Stewart. I think in terms of his build, he's a physical player that can hold the ball up, that can, you know, be the um the cliched thorn in the side of, of opposition defenders. But don't get that twisted. I think technically he's good as well. And he's shown in the uh, albeit in League One in the division below that, you know, he can shift a bit, he can shift and he's good with the ball at his feet. So I think I mean it's it's difficult, is it? Because I don't know what type of striker Carrick necessarily wants, whereas in the summer under Chris Wilder, we were looking at a poacher, a Billy Sharp, and then a sort of withdrawn striker like a David McGoldrick that can be that forward link player between the midfield and that number nine. So it's difficult to know what exactly Carrick wants. We're still very early into his tenure, mm. but I really like the link with Ross Stewart and I'd keep an eye on that because I don't think his future at Sunderland has been resolved yet. I saw something on Twitter early from Roker Reports, you know, an opinion piece saying that, you know, that needs to be sorted. So obviously it hasn't been sorted yet. And so that's interesting, but I'd keep force. I, I would. Um, I mean, we he's not on loan, so we can't get rid of him, can, he? can we? But Rodrigo Minas is, is the interesting one, I think. Yeah, and that's just to keep going with your point there, like, Although he's a striker, it doesn't mean he always has to score all the goals. You know, like if he's creating the opportunities for goals to come elsewhere, then that's just as vital as putting them in the back of your net yourself. So um, for me, he's doing a really good job at leading the line at the moment. Appreciate he's going to have a lot more trying to get his position as well. But for me, Force and Akpom have done really, really well so far. Um, Akpom is top scorer in in, in the championship. So. Yeah, I think there's no complaints for me, but yeah, I think you're spot on, Dana. Uh, Munis is the one to replace when we do that. But the next question is from Phil, and he says, why are we so much better under Michael Carrick? Tom Green, um, why are we so much better under Michael Carrick? Well, I think we've already spoke about it, just doing the simple things right and that that simplicity of, of football, really. Um, I think, was it after the the Blackpool game, Akpom's interview, uh, where he was saying, when I get the ball, I know exactly where everyone else is going to be, um, you know, where Jones is going to be, where Smith's going to be, etc., and, and and what to do with it. And I just think simplifying that on the coaching ground and on, on training ground, sorry. On the, it, coach. on the coach. On the coaching ground. <laughs> I, I mean, like I say, you're I'm, not wrong. 
I'm yeah. still rough here. So on the training ground via the coaching, simplifying that. And I said this under under Wilder at the start of the season when he was trying to blame everyone but himself. Um, actually drilling the players to to do the the job they're supposed to do would have you know resolved that issue, which we could tell wasn't happening. Um, Carrick's come come in. We've seen training videos of him doing just that, and then suddenly we've started winning again. Um, so I'm not going to say that, say and say I'm a better manager than Chris Wilder, but my football re- manager records better. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I said, just just simplifying things under Carrick. I think he's done so well with with the coaching side of things, and you know that that kind of culture shift that we've had um, since Wilder's gone, we've we've went towards kind of a more coaching based method. I think it's just working so well for us. Yeah, I agree. I think with, with the coaching side of things, I, I do think like a manager has really about 30% say in how a game really goes, isn't it? Really a, a big push. You know, like he can set up a team, but he can't manage like those 11 players. He can't help, say, like a Maribel getting sent off during the game, how a team reacts to certain moments. But I think just to add on your point there, Tom, I think like the culture shift that we've seen manager culture to an organization culture which i spoke about with dan abraham's on the last point if you haven't listened to it, do listen because we go into that quite a bit but i think borough as a club has just changed like i think there's, there's just much more of a good feeling around the place i mean there's a safe space for players to to try and express themselves in in, in the good moments and then also in the if the bad moments happen they're very quick to to forget about it and start again and i think that really helps uh, benefit a team in trying to, to try and get up the league and everyone trying to sink from the same hymn sheet etc uh, et but the the last question uh today is from danny he says is our bench not that strong um dana i mean it's as strong as you make it i guess but what do you think is our bench not that strong on paper it is or it should be anywhere but it is interesting because paddy mcnair is very much the shadow of the player that we saw last season and have seen in borussia for probably more than last season as well going on two, three seasons. I don't think anybody's seen the proper Alex Moyes since he was at Barnsley. And then Dyke Steele's role in the team has been... He's now a substitute, isn't he? Which is a shame. You know, he's that player that mm-hmm. comes off comes off the bench to sort of shore it up at the back, um, unfortunately. but Makes me sad, that. Makes me really it sad. It does. Yeah, it does. But to be fair, I mean, you can't really change that defence can you so as much as as, as I and we love Dyke still you can't really bring him back in because Lenahan's mm. been great great Fry's been great and at right back Tommy Smith's been good so you can't bring him into the team but I think it is I think it's stronger than their performances are showing is probably the best way for me to describe it. But I was thinking earlier, it is interesting that we've got the likes of Matt Baller, not even on the bench, Matt Clark as well, Matthew Hoppy. Uh, I think that's a headache, obviously. But Massimo Longo, where's he gone? Like, you know, he came in and, and he, he might as well have been a Grandpa Simpson and, and went, turned back around and, and left again. Like, isn't his deal until January as well? He's, he's He's going to leave without playing for Borough, unfortunately for him. But um, I think that the bench, listen, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I'm sat here saying that it's stronger than it lets on, but the performances of some of those players on the bench haven't been particularly good enough. So I still think we can improve. I still think we can improve that bench and, and make it better than what it is. 
Yeah, and in January, um, you know, Kieran Scott said he's going to hone in on some players, but we'll come on to that in just a second. But we'll go to the praise and place first. Um, so the praise and place is the place where to give praise to, you know, Tom's Palmer last night, the glue that sticks to uh, Matt Crooks's face on Dana's wall or anything. Lip tack, like actually. That. It's blue tack. Well, there, well, there you go. I haven't out. literally got P- PVA glue, like just squirting it on the wall and just sticking Matt Crooks's face down there. Hey, well, you never know. Like I, I, I can't see that. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the present place. Uh, Dana, what? Who gets your uh, place in the present place this week? I feel like I, I already know the answer to this. You don't. I do. Riley it's McGree. Riley McGree, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> oh, no. I thought you were going to say Matt Crooks. No, it's, it is McGree. I thought he was the sharpest player on the pitch yesterday when Borough did look a little bit rusty. He was the one that stood out for me. He played a big, big part in the first goal that we haven't mentioned, but I really want to mention it now because he played a big, big part in that. Um, he took the ball around one of their players and just took it around the outside of him. And that's what progressed the move. It's, it's that sticking moment that made sure that Borough weren't stuck in that middle third of the pitch, um, or sorry, that deep midfield part of the pitch. You know, he was the one that progressed that move, drove inwards, recycled possession a bit. Obviously, he was the one that fed it to Ryan Giles. Beautiful ball to Chew Bratpom, and obviously puts it into the back of the net, heads it into the back of the net. But yeah, Riley McGree was really good yesterday. You could tell that he's, he's buoyant after that, uh, after his international exploits with with Australia that we have to congratulate him for because you know they haven't been in a knockout for God knows how long. I think the last time that they were, we had Max Schwarzer, um, or they had Max Schwarzer, we had Max Schwarzer, uh, so a long time ago, and. I thought he was great. I thought it was his best Borough game in a while. He was the one that was receiving the ball, looking to make things happen. He was, as I said, he he tried that ball around the outside of, of one of their wide players quite a lot. And he was picking up good spaces, as he always has done. And he just seemed on it. Whereas certain players did look off colour in that first half. He was the one that stood out for me. So, yeah, uh, Riley McGree in the present place. Okay, Tom? Yeah, I'm going to go a slightly different route to what I normally do um, for this present place and just say Middlesbrough Football Club. Because um, I think since uh, since Carrick's came in and especially kind of over the international break, we can we can see more um you know more from from the club really um we've had that interview with Kieran Scott which you know we've called for quite a few times on on the podcast and uh and, and said you know um it, it shouldn't be one that's like done by the club it should be uh one who like an external um you know news source and to be fair i mean the, the club did do it but it was a very good interview it was um you know answering the questions that i think a lot of the fans had and then he's went on to kind of speak to the gazette the echo and, and stuff as well um as and he's got a fans q a coming up um there seems to be a little bit more in terms of kind of youtube content which i'm i'm not kind of saying like that that's a you know, massively important thing or anything like that. But I feel like it does help a little bit with, you know, fans getting invested with some of the players and stuff. I think even something as daft as, um, you know, the, 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 what you call it, the, the slang show that, uh, you know, Dale Fry and Ryan Giles can teach each other <laughs> words and stuff like, you know, Dale Fry not knowing what mafting means. Can we just yeah. talk about that for a second? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't like being from Billingham. I didn't know if that did mean something 
Elsover and Berwick Hills or, or something, but no, it, it's always meant warm. Like, mm. um, but then, you know, we've had, I, I think it, it really started the show with that, um, the video of Carrick on the training ground. I think the club's doing more and more to kind of um, get fans involved and and, and kind, of, kind of really show um, the the workings behind the scenes and, and, and what we're trying to go for now. I think Kieran Scott explaining the the goals for, for the club and, and for his job and, and stuff was you know, exactly what we needed. And I'd say credit where credit's due. I think it's you know, e- easy for for us to, to go on the podcast and, and, and say, uh, you know, this needs doing, why aren't we doing it, etc. But I think when, when they do it, it's, uh, it, it's worth kind of crediting. Yeah, and to be honest, like Tony, to put my marketing hat on, uh, you know, going going back to the day job, but content does drive <laughs> like sales. It drives growth. You know what I mean? Like, if you can get someone to fully buy in through content, they'll stay for longer. It's like historically proven. Um, but like, I'm not gonna. I'm not doing a marketing podcast. I do that five days a week. I'm doing a. I'm doing a football podcast. So we'll come out another time. Uh, so Mills Football Club gets yours, Tom. Uh, Riley McGree gets yours, Dana. And I think Riley McGree, McGree gets mine as well. Uh, I really like Riley McGree. I really do. Like I know he's a bit of a marmite character for for some board fans, but who isn't a marmite character for some board fans? But um, I think he's great. I just think he just brings so much to like the sides um, in terms of possession and then look. And I know he can be frustrating, and you know that's the reason why he's in the championship, but. For me, I think he returns possession quite well. He creates space when we're attacking, but also he just he's just like a really good footballer, technically good footballer. I, I just enjoy him. Um, but yeah, I thought he was excellent yesterday. He was excellent against Norwich. Uh, and I hope he continues to be more excellent because I really enjoy it. So that is the reason why he's in my present place. Um, but let's chat about Borough News. And I feel like it should have been a jingle for this, like Borough News, Borough News, like some of that like that. Johnny, we, we missed the ball. We've missed the ball, but it's all right. Uh, so we, we've we been missing for the last four weeks. And the last time we did that uh, was a few years ago where we won three on the spin on the wood gate, I think. Um, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that was the last time we did had a little break and we ended up winning pretty mm. much most of the games on the wood gate. It was hilarious. Um, but anyway, what did you miss? Because we did a podcast with Dan Abraham's uh, sports psychologist, which is really, really good. And if you haven't listened to it, do listen to it. Um, and we've got Bora 1 2 0 against Hibs. Down and joined the Academy uh, under 16 team. And then Ryan McGree went to the World Cup and played very, very well. Josh Coburn scored his fifth goal in 10 games for Bristol Rovers. And he's absolutely flying out on loan. Uh, Chris Jones was appointed head of scouting. Aaron Danks joined uh, from joined the coaching staff as a first team coach from Aston Villa. And he has been at Underlex as well. And he's a really, really good coach for us to, to bring in. Um, Carrick and Tuba were nominated for Player Manager of the Month. Jack Hanna and Hayden Hackney signed new deals for 25 and 26, respectively. And Dale Fry still doesn't know what matching <laughs> is. Um, but there, there was one bit, and we have we have alluded to it, but uh, Kieran Scott explained the vision for Borough. I think that's a really good uh, topic to discuss. I mean, it's just a couple of questions on it. But what were your thoughts on the interview, guys? Because for me, it was really eye-opening and refreshing to see that Borough starting to put more of this content out and give us a, a good perspective on where we're going as a club. Um, so Dana, what, what what's your thoughts on, on the overall interview? Yeah, I really like Kieran Scott talking about things and, and giving us that clarity and, and even just 
description. I really like the cut of his jib, and I think I, I want to hear more from from Kieran Scott. It'd be brilliant to get him on this podcast. But um, yeah, I, I really liked it. It's obviously what we have been wanting. So again, what Tom said there, echo the the sort of credit where credit's due. And it seems like we can't get enough of Kieran Scott at the moment because obviously. The Echo, the Gazette, BBC Tees, the club website, Middlesbrough Supporters Forum. He's going to be everywhere, isn't he? But yeah, I really liked what he said. He clarified the statement that he mentioned when Carrick was first appointed, that his work starts now. And I think that tells me uh, what we all knew, really. Confirmation that things just didn't fit under Wilder because he has mentioned Kieran Scott a couple of times Michael Carrick's title of head coach. I think that's interesting because obviously that seems to be a much better fit for him and he's a key figure of this football club. So that's brilliant to know that the, the pieces are gelling together quite well now, although it's it, it's early days, of course. Um, him mentioning untapped markets as well, he said that they don't really exist anymore. You can't pluck a, an Emmy Buendia from the Spanish Segunda Division anymore because it just doesn't, you know, a lot of the top clubs have got, he said, 200 to 300 scouts covering those markets. So it's about getting in there quickly and selling the the vision. And what he also mentioned is something that I kind of forgot. Obviously, Carrick as a player is a massive pull. I didn't forget that, but Woodgate as well. You know, when Woodgate was appointed as borough manager, there were so many good reviews of him as a, as a person and as a coach. I remember Clayton came out and said some good things about him and there were other uh, borough players, ex-borough players as well that, that did so. And I just think that if you're a, a player wanting to to come to a football club and you've got Michael Carrick and Jonathan Woodgate there, don't forget, you know, Jonathan Woodgate has uh, had a fantastic career, played at a very high level, played for Real Madrid. And then Michael Carrick as well, we don't need to go into his footballing career, those, those years at Manchester United, Spurs, West Ham, uh, England as well, for the pair of them. That's brilliant to have that as, as a sort of centrepiece core pull for players. Those two combined, I think, fantastic to be able to attract players. Let's see what happens in the January transfer window. But, you know, talk about transfer windows. Scott mentioned as well that they are there to to improve or regardless of league positions. So I read into that that we're probably looking for that middle ground player that can impact Borough now in the present, but also they have the potential to to grow with the club and potentially even outgrow the club so that we can be sustainable. We can sell these players on for a profit. And I think that's good because he mentioned we don't want any wholesale changes. And Borough have, have done that too many times over the years, the sort of ripping things up, starting again. It's not sustainable. And it landed us in a really bad position under Woodgate, regardless of whether you think that he's a good manager or not. So really liked what he said. And also as well, speed bumps. I really like that description where he said that there will be speed bumps. And I think that's a perfect way to to sort of say that, listen, this isn't going to be plain sailing. Uh, we might be flying at the moment, but we will run into to some trouble and that's okay. You know, stick with us. And it, it was just good to get that clarity. So, um, yeah, I was just disappointed he wasn't wearing that tie. <laughs> mm. oh, the well. Pelican tie. The Pelican tie, which Tom Green now owns. Um, so, 
Tom, <laughs> he, uh, I'm gonna keep. I'll keep him with the recruitment chat and not not the tie. Um, because less said about the tie, the, the better. Um, uh, so I'll just get rinsed for it off my own off my own account. So thanks, guys, uh, for that. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Karen's got mentioned Chris Jones, uh, an encyclopedia of football, and Jack Grealish still doesn't know what one of those is. Um, but he said uh, he's coming to lead the scouting and take us to new territories. Um, where can you see that being really? And do you think it's going to be lower leagues for in more English football? Can you see it more like Central Europe? Um, well, I mean, I, I can see us making signings from lower leagues, but I think we're also going to be exploring those other territories where the work permit rules aren't as strict. Um, I, I think we've seen that mainly with uh, South America, you know, San Piero last year. Um, but I, I think Scandinavia's also... Um, possibly up there. I, I, I'm not. I haven't played this year's footy manager yet, so I don't know which uh, <laughs> which 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 countries have the uh, the least kind of uh, impact from Brexit on uh, on work permit rules. But I think that's going to be the type of approach that we're taking. Um, signing those those uh, you know promising uh, kind of players who can take that step up from from lower leagues or you know Scotland or or, or whatever and then um, the the other players from other other uh, regions where um, the work permit rules aren't uh, aren't as strict but I, I really like what I've, what I've heard about Chris Jones so far uh, you know where Kieran Scott's in his, in his interview I can say like who won this game in, in this year and etc and he'll know everyone who played that that um, that game uh, and who scored and stuff I think that's that that just sounds great I mean the last time we heard something similar to that I think was Victor Orta when he came in and you know we we heard that story that he'd uh was it him and him and his older brother had like a competition of, of like who can remember the first the, the most football knowledge or something and he built like this whole kind of uh you know database of, of all these players and stuff without having a job to do that for or anything it was just kind of his passion I, I, I like the uh you know what we hear about Chris Jones that he seems kind of very very similar um I think the next couple of transfer windows uh, are going to kind of show what he's he's all about but yeah I'm, I'm just really looking forward to, to kind of seeing that going forward now I think we made a, another uh addition to the the scouting team as well um whose name I can't remember off the top of my head right now um but it, it it does seem like we're we're actively focusing on on building that out now and making the scouting team better and um, you know it, it's it's exciting times. It is. Um, I think it was was it Jamie Benson? Maybe I can't. I want to yeah, say that. Yeah, that rings a bell. It does ring a bell, doesn't it? But I feel like I could be wrong. I think it is. I'm, I'm like ninety nine point nine percent sure it is. But you never know. Um, but on, on the kind of like the last question on it, um, you know, we were, were talking about honing on players. Dan Barlazar was mentioned as well. Dana, you are a huge fan of his. Um, would you like to see him come in, I guess? Uh, you know, like, and who would he replace in the, in the side? I would absolutely like him to come in. I don't know who he would replace. You're probably looking at maybe House, and I'd, I'd probably say. But I think with Dan Barlazar, you probably need him to be able to impact the game and influence the game in the ways that he the ways that you can you know there are players and, and creators that create through ball carrying ability that magnetize players to them create space he's not that type of player he's he was described by Paul Warren as a quarterback you know he sprays some fantastic balls up the pitch um, he's got a great vision great eye I remember 
when Connor Ripley was at Accrington Stanley, I was doing a few Lawn Watch blogs and, and Dan Barlasser was at Accrington Stanley on loan from Newcastle and he was getting some really good reviews from their fans. So his trajectory has just taken him into the championship with Rotherham. And I, I would really like to see him because I think he's that type of midfielder that can probably dictate the game and to bring more of the pitch through just really good creative passing and a good vision and I think obviously it would it would be a step up no disrespect to Rotherham I think they're a good team in their own right but it is a step up and it's a little bit closer to home as well because he's you know he's a Geordie um we'll forgive him for that but you know it is a bit closer to home and um not saying that Rotherham is is a million miles away mine but yeah I would like to see Dan Barlasa come in because you're looking I think he does fit into that that category what I said that middle ground sort of player um, where he can Im- Im- influence things and impact things in the present, but probably does have the potential to just crank it up quality-wise, that extra notch. So, yeah, um, two players for the January uh, wish list there in, in Dan Balasser and Ross Stewart already being mentioned in this pod. So, yeah, let's see what we do. Yeah, it's that house and position, isn't it? That has just been key to, to change over maybe like the last couple of seasons Somebody we stuck with it. But I feel like he is probably the right man to kind of take his place and get us playing again. But, you know, I mean, he could be drip-fed in. You know, we've got Hackney there as well who needs that experience around him as well. So um, we'll we'll see how that, that plays out. But, yeah, in terms of like the whole Kieran Scott thing, really, really good. And we kind of want more of it and see where we're going over like the next few few years. And um, hopefully it's a very bright and sustainable future for us. But let's talk about next week then, because Borough go to Turf Moor, where the last time they won there was in 2014. We won 1-0, but who was the goal scorer? Do you know it, Dana, Tom? Who was the goal I was scorer? there. I was there and I still don't know. Was it Butterfield? It was Jacob Butterfield. <gasps> it was in the 51st <laughs> minute. Uh, Almost revoked my own season ticket there. It gave Itar Karanka's Borough all three points at Turf Miller. Um, but yeah, Vinnie Company is is the manager there now. And I watched a lot of Vincent Company's underlecht last year. And the parallels are very similar. Um, he's got very good principles in terms of how to play. It is very much like he's been taking it from Pep quite clearly with the way he's been playing <laughs> possession football. But last year when I watched him um, as, as a manager at Anderlecht in the Belgian League, it, the, the start off with three at the back, and we could just not win games at all. It was like possession, try and get as much width as you want, play what 65, 70% possession. And Josh Cullen at the time was vital and the centre-back was vital just to try and the right centre-back and the left centre-back were vital in creating the patterns of play and trying to get the team up the pitch. And they were playing with that much width um, teams could just overturn them and we could never ever win games uh, which was really frustrating to watch uh, last year but he's moved uh, to Burnley now and the you know the principles and the way that he wants to play he's a bit of an idealist to be honest as, as a manager you know he wants to play in a certain way he'll bring in the players to fit that that system and if you're not any fit to that criteria you won't do it but in terms of like their real key players Josh Cullen for me he's just an outstanding footballer you know he's he's really really important to how they play um, him and him and Jack Cork, who normally play in that double pivot in that four-two-three-one, um, is vital because one uh, Cork is more of the 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 one who who play between the lines in terms of like getting the ball off the opposition and then gives it to Cullen and then Cullen is just always in space and will look to try and play that next pass or the next pattern of play. But in terms of like another player as well, it was under like last year, and he's took to to Burnley was Howard Bellis and he was 
of course. He's on Manchester City as well, and he, again, has kind of flourished this year, but last year he was absolutely awful. Um, but it's just crazy how much a year um, makes for him. But in terms of players to watch, you know, you're looking at Jay Rodriguez, you're looking at Brownhill in that number 10, highly possession-based teams, but they do play with a lot of width. Um, so I think your counter-attack, if you do get it in the right areas and pressing their key moments, um, I think you will probably get success from that. So, guys, what are your thoughts and feelings about the game then? Because, you know, top of the league, they're flying at the moment, two defeats all season, one against Watford and one against Sheffield United. And they are playing now, so, um, Tom, maybe we'll go back to you in the studio in about five minutes. But um, <laughs> what, what do you, how are you feeling about it, Tom? What, what, what do you think? Do you think Borough can, can go there with confidence and maybe get something? Well, I think we should absolutely be going going there with confidence at the moment with the way we're playing to, to you know, and and before the World Cup break the way we did, and then pick up again with with another win. We should be knowing that we you know we are a good team. We can give anyone a, a game, and I think this is going to be the toughest test for us this season so far. Um, but. I, I think we can go in there and get something. I, I'm not necessarily saying we're going to win it, but I don't know. Every, every time I remember just kind of games at Turf Moor, I've, I've only been there once, and I think it was McDonald and Joe Bennett who maybe scored. Um, so you're talking, talking quite a while ago, but no, I remember all the games there, like where you know we should have beat them that season. We we went up and they got that like last minute goal, which was an absolute sickener. I remember watching the beam back in in the Riverside uh, on on the big yeah, scoreboards, yeah. and yeah, that was that was second in that. But I, I just I feel like we can always go to Turf Moor and get something, and that might be kind of misplaced if we look over past results and stuff like you just said. There, we're not won since twenty fourteen, but. No, I think the way we're playing at the moment, we can we can absolutely go there and kind of take them by surprise. I think you know I was watching um, when I was at the the Bristol City game. I was in the in the box, and uh, you know we had the Sheffield United Burnley game on before that, and Sheffield United showed that they are beatable. So yeah, we, we need to to go there with that same belief that we've had for the last few games, and, and know that we can win. It's all about the press against Burnley, trust me. It's all about the press against the Vinny, Vinny company side. Him moving from a three to a four last year was pivotal in his underleg season, but this year they're much more compact in comparison to previous years. But they are beatable. These are really are beatable. <laughs> they are winning 2 0 now against QPR, but it's not the point. <laughs> um, Dana. It's, uh, it's not the point. <laughs> uh, Dana, how are you feeling about it and what is your prediction? You know what? I think that we can. I think we can channel the win in 2014. I was there that day. That was the infamous 2003 TV game. So I wonder if they've still got TVs from 2003 in the concourse. If anyone's going that's listening, please let me know if they've upgraded those TVs. But, um, yeah, I mean, that game, I remember we defended with literally everything that we had in that match. It was an Italk Aranka masterclass. Dimi had a fantastic game. Remember, Ayala got sent off towards the end, but we absolutely dug in. And I think we could do that again. There's just something about it that I'm feeling parallels here between that that win and you know, the game that, that we've got against them next. But it's gonna be it's gonna to be tough. Obviously it's limited I think it's about limiting Cullen's influence on the game and, and if we can dampen his um authority, then I think we can um we could get something out of it. Maybe put some I mean Chubratpom. Put Chubratpom on uh Josh Cullen and and 
um, de- make him go a little bit deeper, put a dangerous player on Josh Cullen, and maybe his influence will be will be uh, changed there somewhat. So, yeah, this one, um, I'm hoping that we could get something. We go into it with great confidence. Why why can't we get something from that match? It's going to be difficult, but I think we can. I think we could get something. I'm going to go one nil Bora. One nil Bora, Tom. Score prediction. I'm gonna go one all. One all. Yeah, I think both teams to score definitely. Um just stop calling, make sure that Matson doesn't get up on that left hand side. You know, the wing backs uh, have been really good for them this year. So stop the overloads from that. But then who knows, man? Who knows? Uh definitely both teams to score, but I don't know. Um two on Borough. There we go. All gonna win. It's gonna be four in a row. Um, and we'll be flying up the table. Um, but thanks, guys. Thank you very much uh, for joining me, as always. And to listeners and viewers, thank you very much for listening to us and watching us on YouTube. But for right now, it's three wins in a row for Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough. And with the World Cup done now, sorry, England, and why did you miss Harry Kane? Why? Um, <laughs> the Borough are back up the Borough Breakdown.